Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Voices That Cook. It has been a long time since I have been uh, recording an episode of this show, but I am thrilled to be back, and uh, I've been doing quite a bit behind the scenes. I've been preparing to move. I'm moving to Texas within a month and a week ish something like that, like 30 30 something days, 37 days, whatever it is by the time of this recording. Uh, but I am very thrilled to come back with a very good friend of mine, a very special guest, and his name is Nicholas Ewan. Nicholas, how are you today, good sir? Absolutely wired. I have had my coffee today. I've had lunch, and it is my pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for having me, Will. You are most welcome. What did you have for lunch today? Well, I made some rice and some sausage. Nice. I had some chiquiles mexicanos. And don't worry, I made sure to wash it. There you go. There you go. Um, For the, for, I I don't know, in in case there's anyone here that, that is listening that has not had chiquiles mexicanos before, but in case you haven't, it is very, very, very delicious. It involves like a very specific red sauce with... Uh, chopped up corn tortillas and shredded chicken, and I I leave off the beans so that way there's less weight to go into my stomach. Um, but I'll add some. I'll I'll include a side of Spanish rice and they've got some guacamole and I just mix that up and then just get some tortilla shells and just you know turn them into tacos. It's 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 wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful. And and there's cheese. There's like a there's like a nice melty cheese mixed in with the whole thing. And yeah, it's it is lovely. It's something I'd love to make at some point, but I've noticed that there's a lot of different versions of it out there that are pretty unique. So it's like I need to figure out what can I do to make it either closer to what I like from that restaurant or better. So we'll one day. Just a one day thing. Uh but before I can, before I, I want to go into a whole Chiquiles Mexicanos tangent, why don't I start with asking you uh, my first question of the day, good sir? Um, what got you started in acting, especially voice acting? Now, this is actually a bit of a long-winded story, so make yourself comfortable. Find a chair or a couch or a bed or anything comfortable, really. So the funny thing is, I, for the longest time, I never really thought of myself as much of an actor. Like all throughout elementary school, there were school plays. I'm sure you've seen one or been one or heard of one. Mm. But I never thought I was I never thought I was any good at those. I never auditioned, I never tried out. I was well, the weird, boring loner kid who didn't do anything ever. And even throughout high school, same thing. Never thought I was good for anything. It was in college actually that I had a shift of perspective. It was one of my college professors, funny enough. I don't know if I've told you this story yet, Will. It was my college professor. We were doing a we were doing client work for well, first off, I should say I was in a marketing communications and advertising class. Yeah, I'm one of those cynical marketing graduates. Gotcha. And we were creating an advertising brief for a client. So you know the whole the whole Marcom package. Print adverts, radio adverts, media adverts, anything you can think of, we were trying to, we were coming up with that. Now, we had it almost all finished, but for a radio ad, we didn't quite have somebody to to read the script for it. We didn't have a voiceover person for that at the time. And so we figured, okay, you know what, we'll find someone, but let's, let's record a placeholder for now, show them. Show it to him. This is what we got. This is what we want it to sound like. We just need to find a professional to do it. And so we took turns recording it. Out of the four of us, we decided that apparently I had the best voice for it. So we used my we used my placeholder. And the funny thing is, he actually mis he actually mistook me for like an actual professional voiceover artist. Now huh. disclaimer time. My professor has 20 years of experience in the broadcast industry. So mm. for him to mistake me for like an actual professional voiceover artist is not an easy mistake for him to make. That's not something that he would do for just anyone. Like he legitimately thought that I had what it took to be a voiceover artist and even told me as much. That is major props, dude. And so 
I started doing my due diligence. I mean, I finished the program first. I got my degree, tried to find work in the industry. Didn't really pan out because I didn't have any experience. You know that whole catch-22. Mm-hmm. But then I started looking at, okay, this voiceover, this voiceover idea. What would I need to do to get into this? What if... What kind of things did other people do? How can I how can I get started? What's things I should be doing? And so I looked at interviews that other voice actors and voiceover artists have done. So I think it was Crispin Freeman who said that he got his start actually doing theater. He got his start volunteering at radio stations, doing promos and PSAs and adverts, doing voiceover for that. And so that's what I started doing. I there was a community radio station that I started volunteering at. I even got a show. I still do that show, actually, every Monday night. It's a jazz show. Nice. That's actually how I got an appreciation for jazz music is doing the show every Monday. But I also started doing, you know, voiceover for promos and PSAs and adverts for the station as well. And then I started trying to audition for theater. And oh boy, did I learn how to get used to rejection. Imagine two years of consistently striking out, of failing every single audition you went to, of not having the right look, not having the right sound, not being confident enough. At one point, I actually forgot a monologue that I had spent the whole previous night working on. Like, trust me, when it came to failing auditions, I failed spectacularly. Mm. And then... I finally got an opportunity. Like I, I just wanted to get some experience in theater. So I said, I'll, even if I don't get an acting role, I would love nothing more than to just do something in the production, be part of the production crew, props, even. And so they gave me that chance. They let me work on the props team. And that is when Providence struck. Mm. As it turned out, a couple of the actors on the production had to had to drop due to scheduling conflicts. So, they asked me and the other guy on the props team if we'd like to do double duty. Actually be part of the show, too. This was Hamlet back in 2014, I think. First theater production I ever did. So, of course, we accepted. Oh, yeah. The guy I was with, Graham, he was... Well, he had plenty of acting experience. He was just trying to do some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, too. And so, we both ended up pulling double duty. He ended up playing Hamlet... I ended up playing the leader of the player troupe slash the player king for the play within a play scene. And I received wow. some... Like, that is that is quite a jump to go from props to that. <laughs> oh, I was doing props at the same time, too. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You were saying double duty, which I'm just like doing that, especially for him as well being fucking Hamlet. <laughs> you gotta, yeah. you gotta, you're in like 85% of the show and, and, and you've got stuff to do too. Like that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. He was on, he was on top of it though. He, well, yeah, like I said, he's an, ex- he had plenty of experience in theater. So he was easily able to do both parts, the main character and also the lead of the prop team. Now, Interesting fact, we were actually using real axes. Well, not real axes, but very, very convincing props. Mm. Like sharpened and everything. It was fun. I can imagine. So imagine... Have you ever done... You've done theater before, yeah. So you know how actors are not... The only people who are supposed to touch the prop table are the props team. Like there's like usually a table back there with all the props labeled and a very stern looking props person saying unless you're me you don't touch these boy it must have been fun to be it must have been fun to be hamlet and also the guy handling hamlet's props at the same time yes getting to blatantly ignore that because you're the prop guy (laughs) i'm just picturing just holding up the skull and doing the whole to be or not to be monologue and just and just noticing that somebody may have left a scar or a scratch mark on the side and just going, to be or not to, you fucking assholes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thankfully, um, the cast was really good about not doing that kind of stuff. Like, we true, had a really true. good cast, so n- they respected and, the rules. 
and just and just for full disclosure, the only props that it that in my experience that we were allowed to touch were the ones we were told to touch. That we, we it was totally fine for us to just pick up and observe, just so we had something to do in the background while people up front were doing things. Um, but usually, yeah, it's it, it it felt like kind of one of those no shit sort of rules, but you still need to say it. Like if it's not your prop, if you're not told to mess with it, then just don't touch it. Yeah, it's commonsensical, but it bears repeating. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was my first taste of acting. And I would go on a bit of a roll from there. I went from playing the leader of the player troop and player king in Hamlet to playing Nick Bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream. There you go. And the explicit direction I was given for him was, steal every scene you're in. Find center stage. Make it like a mini game. I mean, if you think about it, Nick Bottom is a very meta character. He's like the pompous clown. He is that actor who thinks he's be- well, the character of course. The character thinks that he's the greatest actor ever. He truly believes his own hype. So it was a very funny meta experience to do that. Like to be an actor playing this actor who thinks he's amazing. Meanwhile, you who is the very incarnation of imposter syndrome think, "Should I really be doing this? Is this really a good idea?" But it it actually worked out really well. The audience loved it. Watching it back, it looked hilarious, and <laughs> every pompous, arrogant thing I did, the character had to face the consequences of it. Like you remember, right? He gets his head turned into that of a donkey at one point. I, I, I'm, I have seen the movie that Denzel Washington and Michael Keaton and um, Wilson from House were in, and I'm I'm trying to figure out which actor played that character because that sounds very familiar, and I'm drawing a blank. Also, that is a story that is very crucial to the Sandman, which is coming out this Friday. Oh. Um, they won't touch on Midsummer Night's Dream in the first season for obvious reasons, but later on it'll get it'll get touched on. But I am I I am drawing a blank, and I keep thinking like, was that Michael Keaton? <laughs> Were you Michael Keaton, or am I thinking of someone else entirely? Because I do remember a donkey being involved, and I also just think the show is hysterical from what I what I recall of it. It's I have a better memory of Hamlet since I. I looked into it a bit more during Shakespeare classes with the wonderful Carlisle de Priest, who I still hope to have on the show at some point. Yes, and those classes are definitely worth looking into, if I might plug them shamelessly. Yes, yes. Uh, we will definitely be plugging her info and everything in the stuff below and all that good stuff. As um, we should. As we should, as we should. And Carlisle, in case you're listening, much hugs and love. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really cool that you started out with the theater stuff with just going straight for Shakespeare. I, I did like mainly, uh, comedy and musical type stuff that wasn't Shakespeare related. And the only Shakespeare stuff I've done has just been through classes or just trying shit out at home and just, you know, practicing or as Carlisle has told me, uh, act in front of a tree. Cause there's... There's something really imposing about having an audience member that's a living thing that is so much larger than you, but thankfully absolutely it stone-faced. Yes, and it cannot give you any criticism or anything. It just has to listen to you no matter what you say. The it's, it's kind ideal of a relief. captive audience. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> You know it's there listening, but it can't say something. Now, obviously, having a reaction is fun. It's definitely fun. You you feel like you've gotten something right when you hear the audience laughing or crying or applauding or what have you. But sometimes it's nice if you're to have the bad guy. There you go. Um, but it it is fun to um, uh, be able to perform in front of a tree and just have nobody there to judge you. Um, but I will say like, now that you've had some Shakespeare experiences, has there been a particular character in Shakespeare you'd love to play in the future that you haven't played yet? Hmm. Trying to think on it. I've, I've done a few Shakespeare plays, Titus Andronicus, The Tempest, Midsummer Night Dream, of course. I'm trying to think of who I would want to play. 
or who I'd be a good fit for. Because, well, you know me well enough to know I will play any character and have fun with it. Oh, yes. I, I think there's quite a few characters in King Lear you'd crush it in. Perhaps. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, I've been, well, shut in mostly. I, I got you. Um, Better safe than sorry. That is true. That is very, very true. Um, so as far as going from that to uh, handling, uh, let's say we uh, get to where, like, the next trajectory of your acting journey, did it go from theater and then, I guess, the pandemic, and then you lead into doing more of voiceover at home? It's been a bit of an interesting journey, even as far back as, like, 2014, 2015, when I first started Ooh. doing when I actually started getting into theater productions because I spent like two years failing miserably before that. Mm -hmm. Fun times those were. But once again, I, I went on a bit of a roll. I went from Hamlet to Midsummer Night. And then from Midsummer Night, I actually went to a, to a stage show of the Rocky Horror Show. I got to play Eddie. Nice. And it was actually from that that I found out about the first voiceover thing that I ever did. It was an audition for, and I think you've heard this one. It was an audition for a an audio drama of Bram Stoker's Dracula featuring Tony yes. Todd. Yes, I have heard that one. So it was right on, I think it was right on the heels of the Rocky Horror Show that I had a chance to audition for that. As Mr. Marcus Renfield. Yes, and that that's that's gotta be that's gotta be something else to hear yourself getting murdered by Tony Todd as Dracula himself. That's just yeah, that is a huge honor. <laughs> that is that is something else. I I do wish it was longer. I really really do. It did. It it needed to be longer. That's my main thing. Because it was very effective, and the ambience and the the um, the way y'all sounded in y'all's performances and the the production quality was very strong. And Tony Todd obviously killed it, and obviously you did a good job. But I will never forget listening to the credits, and your name got mentioned as Redfield. And I was walking in a warehouse trying to find DVDs and CDs at the, at this point while I was visiting East Tennessee for visiting friends. And I just messaged you going like, were you in a Dracula audio drama with Tony Todd by any chance? Because <laughs> I swear Indeed I heard I your name. <laughs> that is something else to just like i i listened to it because i went through this whole dracula audio drama phase which i still haven't really gotten out of but i just i have tried going through the source material i have tried going through the the way it was intended in, initially and i just keep finding the audio renditions wanting me to just you know Come this way. This way is a lot more interesting and has more atmosphere than the hmm. dry novel, which I I do want to get through because I like the I like what I've gone through of it so far. But it's, there's many many different radio drama versions of Dracula out there that have their strengths and their differences and their unique vibes and such. And just knowing there was a version with Tony Todd, I had to hear it. I, I didn't care how short it was or how long it was. I wanted to hear it. And I was just pleasantly surprised to hear that you were in it. <laughs> I mean, I thought that Tony Todd made a great Dracula, to be honest. He really did. He really did. And oh, I, I would want him to play him again at some point if, if the opportunity ever happened. Yeah, if they decide to do a follow-up to that, I'd love to have him back for that. I think he'd be phenomenal. Of course he'd be phenomenal. Mm. Of course he would. He's he always is. He's he he's he's Candyman. He was future Jake Sisko and Deep Space Nine the Visitor. He he's done so many amazing things. Doctor Zoom, I think um, he even played Darkseid at one point. Yes. He he was the voice of Darkseid at one point, and then he was also uh 
Like I, I remember him as Zoom. Uh, he was in the final Wasn't destination. Wasn't he also Venom? Oh, uh, he's going to be Venom. He's he's Venom in the uh, new Spider-Man game. I don't know. I he may have had a uh, past experience as Venom, but I know for certain he's playing Venom in the new Spider-Man game. Um, right. So I wasn't sure if it was a game that was already released or yet to be released. I just know that I saw the announcement. I thought, ooh, he's going to be great. Yeah, I think it's going to be coming out next year or something. Um, But I also heavily remember him from The Rock. He was very good in that. Oh, Um, yes. It's just just crazy when you go back to his uh, schedule – or not his schedule, his resume and just go, holy shit, he's had a lot of – Awesome parts. He was Worf's brother on Star Trek as well. I mean, it's it, it's crazy the amount of work he's had. But I always I always remember him most for um like whenever I think Tony Todd, I I do I I I even though it's only one episode of Deep Space Nine where you get to see him as he naturally looks, um it's it's him and the visitor. And also, he was a villain in 24. He was actually two different characters in 24, fun fact. Really? Um, yeah, he was like some investigator guy or something in season three. And then in season seven and the prequel movie to that, he was like a he was like a, um, a terrorist leader from Africa. It was – and they actually invade the White House and they're they, – they got close to fulfilling whatever they were doing. But, of course uh, – well, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who, who for some reason, hasn't watched season seven of 24, because that is one of the few seasons of 24 that I think legit holds up. And Tony Todd is one of the reasons. Um, so you, you always get yourself a bump when you have Tony Todd in your production. Um, but, yeah, if, if anyone wants to see just how good of an actor he is, I definitely recommend The Visitor from Deep Space Nine. That's a. And Candyman, that definitely Candyman. That's a oh god, that's a, an amazing horror movie. Um, but yeah, back to you, back to you. This is a you episode, not a Tony Todd episode. Um, well, I so, mean, it's Tony Todd. I know. We wouldn't talk about Tony and Todd. This is true. This is true. Um, one thing I definitely feel like we definitely need to discuss, which I know we've talked about many times together, but I feel like in case anyone doesn't know, there is a particular project you and I both have been on together. Ah. And that I was think it The is. Hounds of Bedlam. That was The Hounds of Bedlam. Yes. You, you, you know I want to hear it. You know I want to hear you do the thing. Hang on. Let me get my bucket. Because I don't quite have access to special effects, but I do have a bucket that works as a practical effect. One moment, please. You are good. You are good. And as he's getting that bucket... This is a project for Cold Open Studios, uh, which makes award-winning Warhammer 40K audio dramas. And I've had multiple guests on on this show and One Shots DD Character Podcast that have been in Hounds of Bedlam and other productions from them. And it's they always do great work. And just because I was in Hounds of Bedlam, it, it I'm not saying that just because I'm in it that it's great. It, it legit is great, and I love Nick's performance on it. So I'm back. I found the bucket. Although, what I really needed, I mean, it's basically just me using a false chord whisper. Uh, what's a, I was what's a line like that I should one, say? Zero, one, I zero. Which line? <laughs> which line I wanted to go with? Now, you know, I did actually at one point transcribe the entire script into binary. To help me get into character. <sighs> yeah. Let's see. That's impressive. Like I I did not I did not play around. I really got into character. Every line, binary. Nice. And you were a tech priest, correct? Tech priest genitor of the Dark Mechanicum. Let's see. So let's do it in let's do it in English and then we'll switch to binary. So Feelings, emotions, we require facts and figures. Zero one zero 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 one one zero zero one one zero zero one one zero one. Oh, I know it's zero one one zero zero one zero one zero one one zero zero one zero one zero one one zero one one zero 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 one one zero one zero zero one zero one one zero one 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 zero zero one one zero zero one 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 zero one 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 zero zero one one zero one one zero one one zero 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 
Sorry, it's been a it's been a little while. So I'm a little bit rusty. You are good. It. You are good. I still I still got chills from that. <laughs> let me let me try something a little bit different. Mm. Zero one one zero one one. No, it would be zero one one zero one zero 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 one one zero 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 one. There. Zero one one zero one zero 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 one one zero 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 one zero one one zero one zero 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 one one zero 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 one. Do you know do you know what I just said? Uh, did you say, uh, I know Kung Fu? No, I said, ha, ha. Holy crap, that, it takes that much to say ha, ha. If I took a deeper breath, I could probably go on ha, ha, ha. Let's try that. Let's try. Okay. Zero one one zero one zero 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 one one zero 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 one zero one one zero one zero 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 one one zero 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 one zero one one zero one zero 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 one one zero 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 one. Ha! <laughs> All of that just to laugh in binary, but totally worth it, I think. That is totally worth it. Round of applause. Round of applause. On I, the I, other I, hand, you could go. Let's see which one is it. It is zero one one zero one one zero 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 one one zero one 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 zero one one zero one one zero zero, and that is lol. <laughs> Lol. Lol, lol, lol. 0110110 is L, and 01101111 is O. So if you just keep on repeating that infinitely and then end it with 01101100, that's lolololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololol
and then I saw the benefits of how it it can be played like theater rather than just like puzzle solving. Because yeah. that was that was how I started out initially was just you know like I did Pathfinder with a few people and I just wasn't really all that invested in it. And then I and and also the way they were playing wasn't really jiving with me either, which. That's that's something that, you know, like like you, you gotta find your people that you wanna have fun with and such. And I always have fun doing D D with you. Um, likewise. Yes, yes, which we're in a fucking campaign together and that's been a fucking riot. Hmm. <laughs> oh, it has been one wild ride. Yes. The breaks. We uh we've been doing that with Haley Evanet and Caroline Sweet and uh we we've we've had some things happen with a fucking microwave that we do not dare talk about. We sh- probably shouldn't talk about. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I but I will say this. I will say this. Tam Corwin is doing just fine. <laughs> He's doing remarkably well for somebody with the lowest intelligence in the party. Yes. Yes. Um. The one of my top five Tam Corwin moments uh, has definitely been when we had the eulogy, or we were building up to the eulogy of the guy that you threw off the building. <laughs> because I because Tam Corwin didn't think he was dead. No, he he had been dead for a while, and we had to literally roll persuasion checks to convince you he was dead. <laughs> well, no. What happened is I had to roll a persuasion check against the rest of the party to convince myself that he wasn't dead. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> oh, gosh. I love Dam. I love That was Dam. an acting moment right there. That really was. It was a it like was That a was major... Canadian heritage acting moment right there. It was a beautiful moment. Very beautiful. Um, speaking of beautiful things, food. Mm. That, that's such a beautiful food. thing, food. What got you started in oh, cooking yeah. good, sir? Well, I'd have to say, I get hungry. That's a bit of a simple answer, though, isn't it? That's a good answer. I get hungry and good food tastes good. And there are things that, well, I've been meaning to learn how to make. Still working on that, though. One thing that definitely made me want to have you on this show was our discussion involving us making pizzas within a very close proximity of when we were doing them. Um, Uh. So let's start out with just talking about that, because I really want to know, and I really want the audience to know, too. Uh, what was tell us about your recent pizza making experience? Admittedly, that's the first time I made pizza in a little while. But mm-hmm. well, with the pandemic going on and everything, we were kind. I was kind. Well, first off, disclaimer: I still live with my folks, and I do too. For now, I do what I can to earn my keep. Mm-hmm. And well, with the pandemic going on, going to restaurants at the time, eating out was kind of off, off the table of options. So, it's much better to just go and make your own food. True. So i would I would help out with make I would help out with preparing, either prepping, so you know, measuring up portions, c- cutting vegetables, anything I could do. And pizza happened to be something that we liked making, so we just well, especially back in like twenty twenty, we made lots of pizza. Like whenever we'd go out grocery shopping, we'd get pizza dough we'd get the ingredients together and usually on tuesdays we'd go and make pizza that's an awesome uh schedule and it was nice it's good spending time with my folks it was good learning that it's also a good way to kind of hear stories mm-hmm. especially stories about my grandparents and well they were close my grandparents were close to me but there's a lot i didn't know about them Mm. Good stories, to be sure. Like nothing, nothing scandalous or notorious. Gotcha. Just all good stuff. Just stuff I didn't actually know. Cooking can be a, a really good bonding experience. Hmm? Cooking can be a good bonding experience. Yeah. There's a social aspect to it. 
I guess mm. you could say. Oh, yes, for sure. And just cre- creating in general, um, whether it's whether it's acting or making audio dramas or uh, D&D campaigns or even just pizzas, there's something there's something wonderful when it all comes together and you get to see the creation that you have you have made come out of the oven and it just it's everything you hoped it would be and um how did you how did you make your most recent pizza Let's see well admittedly we just well when we went out grocery shopping we just got the usual stuff you know like mm-hmm. pizza sauce shredded cheese I think we made sausages last week and we had some leftover, so we just cut them up and put them on. Very oh, nice. We also had some bacon that we fried up as well. Yes. So it was fairly simple, but it was good. And of course, we have like a whole bucket of different spices and little containers and we just sprinkle some on. I'm trying to remember what we put on it though. I'm trying to remember which seasonings we put on. I think there was some oregano. That was the one seasoning I did not have for my recent pizza. I finally got some oregano today, but I I felt so sad. I was like, I don't have oregano. It, it, it's it's always been a mandatory thing with my pizzas, and I it was still good without it, but I felt sad. <laughs> but now you are resupplied, and you can put it on. Yes, yes. Um, I um. I ended up using this was my first experience most recently with uh onion flour or ano flour which is mm-hmm. a dub- double o flour and it is so much more flexible and forgiving to use than bread flour which I had used mainly prior for my previous pizzas and I had a pretty not so great experience with my last pizza where it essentially came out pretty much like a biscuit it was not how I intended it to turn out at all. Ah. Uh, whereas this was more willing to hydrate and everything, but I was also – and I think this is actually a very good idea for anyone who may be nervous about making pizza for the first time. Look at the directions that if you have like a specific dough that is mainly used for pizza, it will have instructions. And I think following those instructions is very beneficial. Um, But also, the big thing that I learned from my most recent experience was I had put too much water with all of my stuff mixed together. So it turned into like essentially like giant cake batter at first. And I was freaking out. My fingers were getting sticky. It was a very... Uh, intense circumstance because I did not want this pizza to go to waste. I didn't want to have what happened last time to happen all over again. It was, mm. But instead of it getting really dry, it was very sticky and wet. So I just added a bunch of flour that would allow things to combine and absorb and I just kept adding it until it started to turn more into the dough that I've seen people use when they make their own pizza and such. And I was like, oh, I'm doing something right. I'm doing something right. And then I would sprinkle, I would add a bit more if needed. And then I just, I've never done a proper kneading before until my most recent pizza where, you know, you, you push it forward with like the, the bottom of your, the palm of your hand, and then you can kind of turn it and then push it, push it down with the bottom of the palm of your hand. And I just kind of went into this patty cake, patty cake, patty cake, patty cake. Patty cake, patty cake, just kneading it like that for, uh, I don't, I don't, I think it was like, I did that for like at least five minutes, just kept doing that. And it felt therapeutic after the intensity of the cake batter, crazy, fearful Mm. situation I was going through. The sticky situation you were in. I've been waiting for so long to say that. Yes, yes. I, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't even say it myself. Um, I was biting my tongue on that. Yes. Um, and then I, I let it rest for about 30 minutes and then I, uh, needed it again. And then I took it out and then I let it, um, uh, sit in room temperature for a few hours and it didn't get to like the huge giant double size formation, 
which I will probably do next time so that way I can just have a bigger pizza. But it was still, like, very, very efficient and effective as far as, like, forming into a very good crust, especially since I was doing something that I had seen people do before, especially in my local pizza place. Mm. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll essentially kind of, like, do these finger rub massages on the pizza to just kind of let it air out a bit rather than like, you know, punch the shit out of it or whatever. They just kind of like just rub, rub, rub. And you just see these nice creases that start to pop up. It almost looks like you're looking at a weird bed almost. that's just been the, 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 the massaging of it has been a bit more effective. Um, and then, you, you know, you just let it sit and you let, and you can definitely, when you definitely tell it's been getting taller, then you can start to add your sauce, and which I had like a garlic tomato sauce thing, which was usually my go-to. But this this next time I'm going to make pizzas, I'm going to make my own sauce. I'm going to get some uh, – I've already got some crushed tomatoes um, from Centro and some garlic cloves and I'll use some salt, some pepper, some sugar and just – make that into a pizza sauce that can go with that and some i actually found non bread in my little bitty small town there's actually finally non bread here so i can make a non bread pizza too um and then of course shredded cheese and i've got turkey pepperonis so we're we're good on that front and i've got the oregano and i still ha- and my other main spice components with pizza are usually basil parsley and garlic powder cuz that's that's a key factor for me. If you have oregano and you have some garlic powder, your pizza's going to win. It's it's definitely going to win. Hmm. Couldn't agree more. That was the other. That was one of the other seasonings, garlic powder. Hmm. So it took me a moment to jog my memory on that. You are good. You are good. And the and the most pizza, recent pizza I made, I also I I had garlic powder, but I forgot to put it on. Um, oh. I know. It, and, and while my pizza was the best I've ever made, I know it would have been better with the garlic powder. It, it, and I'm definitely going to be sticking more of that particular flour rather than bread flour. But there's there's so many different customizable ways to make a pizza that it's pretty ins- it's pretty amazing. Like you can try all sorts of different stuff. And as long as you allow there to be the balance necessary for the water and the yeast and the flour and the salt and the sugar to do what it needs to then you're going to then you're you're going to have a pizza that's going to uh be very flexible for what you do and treat it calmly and you should be fine and that's that's not the only thing I'm going to be doing this week I'm also going to be going back to making birria tacos as well Ooh, the return yes. of the birria tacos. Yes, I've got a friend coming over, and I haven't made them in so long. I want to make sure I I still know what I'm doing. I want to try out some new new things to hopefully make the whole process easier. And uh, if that works, then then it'll be an easier version of making birria tacos, but still delicious. And since I'm home by myself for the next week. I'll be I'll be the only one eating them. <laughs> More for you. And I'm More confident that you still got it. Thank you, thank you. Um Do you remember what the first meal was that you made? First meal that I made. Hmm. Let me think back. It's gonna require a lot of thinking. It probably was pizza. That's a good oh, place to start. Scrambled eggs, actually. Something oh. nice and simple. Scrambled eggs is um, something that I really, really love to make. Um, I like to make them the Gordon Ramsay way, where you just get butter and the eggs, put in a pot, and you just keep stirring them and stirring them and stirring them and stirring them. Then you take them off the heat, you stir, 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 put them back on the heat, stir, stir, and just wait till they transform into legit scrambled eggs and they're so fluffy and so tasty and when you've added mm. salt and pepper and parsley afterward it's really great even just like that but if you feel up to it adding some hot sauce is a nice final touch if you're up for it 
Now that is probably something I'd do, to be completely honest. Do you have a favorite hot sauce? Not really. I'll have just about anything. I'm a I'm a big fan of Frank's hot sauce. It's it's spicy, it's flavorful, and it doesn't make me want to have stomach explosions. At ah. least in my experiences with it. I've had other hot sauces that have made me have bad reactions, but Frank's has been kind to me in comparison. Yeah, Frank's is good, I've heard. Good choice. Very good, very good. Very good um, choice. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> of course, here comes the Palpatine. Every time I get comfortable on a podcast episode, Palpatine has to pop up. <laughs> As he does. As Somehow he does. Palpatine returned. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I couldn't resist. It was it was it was a good it was a good uh segue for sure, for sure. That's that's one of those movies where I I can't help but feel like there was really not there, I there's there's you know, there's the Doctor Strange way of like looking ahead into the universe and just seeing like one million different possible futures. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many futures there would have been to make Episode Nine a good movie. I I don't know with with the stuff that happened in between the Last Jedi and the and the beginning of production for that film. I don't know. I don't know what timeline out there exists where that was a good movie. I don't know. Well, but probably I, the one where they just say it's Dark Empire, and actually do Dark Empire. True. True. With what little I know of Dark Empire, I'd be willing to agree with you. Uh, because they do explain exactly how Palpatine came back, essence transfer into a clone body, and they establish that he can do it because every Sith in the Rule of Two knows how to use the essence transfer since Darth Bane, and even before that, the initial Dark Jedi during the Schism of the Order who went to Korriban... One of them was Karnas Mir, who used the essence transferred to put his consciousness into his talisman. Also, he caused the Rakul Plague. Oh, fun. So, so yeah. As far as Palpatine doing the essence transfer into a clone body, that's all they had to say. And they didn't. <laughs> they yeah. had nothing to even hint at what happened other than, I'm just going to quote Revenge of the Sith. To be fair, that's literally what essence transfer is, is an unnatural use of power caused by the dark side. Also, it disintegrates your body upon use, so it's really a... It's really the Hail Mary play. If True. you make the essence transfer work, great. If not, well, you're now a soul without a body doomed to wander the universe forever until the heat death. Which br brings up the very un unfortunate question of... If if he was capable of doing that after Return of the Jedi, then what makes Rey defeating him, you know, seem like, well, that's the last we'll ever see of Palpatine? Like, is there going to be another way he's going to try to get himself back out there and go, all righty then, we're going to try my Revenge of the Jedi plan all over again for the third time. <laughs> the Return of the Sith 3.0. I mean, if they're going to bring him back, they might as well go all the way and just do Dark Empire. Like, yeah. bring in Biss, bring in the Eclipse-class Superstar Destroyer, the World Devastators. I mean, Heck, they the kinda, Galaxy Gun, even. They kind of did have a World Devastator, like they had, which was essentially like a Starkiller-based gun, which I, I honestly rolled my eyes at big time, because I have always found... Fleets of Star Destroyers far more intimidating than big moon-sized planet-sized planet-sized shit. Like I, 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 I've always found it more. I've always found it less intimidating because at least with a Death Star, there's a specific weakness that a tiny little ship can go inside, find a spot, and pop it in the hull. And there you go. It blows up. Whereas a Star Destroyer, you've got a shield generator here, a shield generator there. You've got all these TIE Fighters defending it. You've got other Star Destroyers defending other Star Destroyers. 
and they can block out the sky. Like, at least with a Death Star, you can fly past it, whereas the Star Destroyers can still, you know, track your ass down. At least it seems that way. They seem like they're better at tracking, unless, of course, you leave a tracker on a Millennium Falcon like Vader and Tarkin did. Mm. Um, but I've always, I've always felt like the Empire was a lot more imposing in something like the Empire Strikes Back or Star Wars Rebels than how they were in Return of the Jedi or New Hope, where... You know, the stormtroopers suck at shooting and the Death Star, like you got to count your shit down before you use your blasts. Whereas the Star Destroyers, they can fire when ready any time. Yeah, they have turbo laser batteries. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing about the World Devastators, though. They're not even as big as a Star Destroyer. They're called World Devastators, but they're not like an instant kill. Mm-hmm. They're, a von- they're like a von Neumann probe, which is to say... What they do is they're deployed to the planet's surface and they begin devouring up natural resources and materials to build more of them or to make themselves bigger or to fabricate whatever they need. Shield generators, droid starfighters to defend them, you name it. And so they just, they just build themselves up, make more of them, repeat the process. Literally strip mine a planet to nothing and then move on to the next. That was Palpatine's that was Palpatine's new fleet in Dark Empire. Much more insidious than a planet killing superweapon is something that just can't be stopped. Yeah. Also, I still find it hilarious that they the, all those ships were essentially just chilling out underneath snow and ice for who knows how long. Like how how did they store power? How did they not have like people suffering colds in a, just just waiting for the day Palpatine says, all right, you can all just rise out from the ground in theatrical fashion. Oh, uh, I mean, being dramatic is practically a Sith requirement. Look at Palpatine. Look at Darth Vader, for example. That's a fair point. The, that is a fair point. The man lived for the drama. I mean, he turned off his own life support system while in Rogue One when he boarded the Tantive Four. Well, not the Tantive Four. When he boarded the... He when he boarded, boarded the capital ship. Yes, yes. And He and snuck in just... there, crept into the hallway where the Rebels were downloading the plans with his life support officer. He was holding his breath the whole time and then activates it as soon as the boarding latch connects and then turns on his lightsaber. Like, he was... He was suffocating the whole time just because he wanted to make an entrance. I have never thought of it that way. I have legit never thought of it that way. I always thought it was just a it was just a matter of, you know, he was he was taking his time, obviously, to build in the fear because fear will give him strength. But at the same time, like one of, one of my favorite current canon storylines has been the Lords of the Sith story, where um, you get to see things from the point of view of Vader, um, and then someone who it was very close to Champs and Dula, and somebody else who I I'm having trouble remembering mm-hmm. the name. And there were some moments in that book that just made Vader out to seem like a a guy from a horror film, like it was amazing to hear on audible with jonathan davis narrating it was it just made you feel like this is why people find vader to be like one of the most iconic villains in all of pop culture and then i see what happens at the end of rogue one in a big theater screen and i forgot how to breathe because he was essentially doing what i remember from that book being a horror movie villain with a lightsaber <laughs> oh he's good at that he's like he, he's 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 been effective with that since empire but still <laughs> oh yeah like the duel on the duel on bespin what made it so great is the fact that Darth Vader used those elements of fear, surprise, and unpredictability. Mm-hmm. Like, he he took the Count Dooku playbook that he gave to Grievous and committed to it. He really did. Especially, like, the third part of the duel, where he just appears out of nowhere. Like, he did the first jump... Well, maybe second jump scare in a Star Wars movie. The first was the Tusken Raiders. But he just jump scares him and just goes right in with the lightsaber. No wonder he was breathing really hard. Because he just had his 
stuff off. So he's like, all right, I'm catching up. I'm catching up. <laughs> I, I have I have watched Empire Strikes Back. I've watched technically the original trilogy more more times than I can count, and yet that's that's a new thought process I have not thought of. That's what makes Star Wars conversations so fun. There's always something new to consider. Um, <laughs> there were um, there were there were a lot of things in. And Rogue One, I really appreciated, and I, I'm just because we're on the subject of Star Wars. I I know we have different feelings toward the Kenobi show, um, uh, but there were some there were some cool things that happened with Vader from a horror standpoint, like when he was you know slaughtering innocent people and such, and trying to get Kenobi out to confront him. That was effective. Oh yeah. Like, that's what Vader would do. Mm. He can be cruel and ruthless and callous when when he needs to be. Oh, yes. Like he is, oh, yes. He is brutal efficiency in, in sentient form. And it's just crazy to think about that he was the same guy who built C-3PO. Isn't, isn't that something else? To a degree, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> While we're on the subject of legends, I know this is a completely just mm. different thing here, but um, in my Audible library, something finally popped up that I had pre-ordered, um, and I wanted to know if you'd ever read it, uh, Shadowhunter with uh, Darth Maul. Did you ever check that book out? I haven't had a chance to, but I do know that apparently Sam Witwer did some narration for it. That's why I got it. <laughs> mm. He he. Number one, he's a very good narrator. I, I've heard him do audiobooks before, but he him being Maul for a long period of time, I am totally down to spend an audible credit on and just enjoy the shit out of listening to that. So, hopefully, I will let you know sometime after I'm through with. Uh, well, I'm going through. The Children of Horan from J.R.R. Tolkien, and I need to finish up The Stand from Stephen King. Um, those are two audiobooks that are heavy on my mind right now. And once mm. I'm through with those, I'll probably do Shadowhunter sometime after those. Um, and I do want to get into The Cimmerillion as well, especially since we've got the new Or the Ring show coming out. Which I know yeah. they're going to probably not be entirely accurate, but thanks to thanks to the children of horan which is narrated by the wonderful late sir christopher lee um uh-huh. i am now a bit i'm now a bit more interested in finally jumping into the Cimmerillion since it seems like it's such um it, it it seems like the biggest hurdle outside of just going through the lord of the rings trilogy which was like a 60 hour endeavor for me to listen to but andy circus narrated the whole thing and he did it splendidly so it was it was worth uh-huh. it Good times, good times. I like I like talking nerdy things with you. Likewise. Yes. Um, I have one more question for you. Uh, what is your favorite recipe? Hmm. That is actually a very good question that I the wheels are still kind of spinning. Actually, no, I think I have an idea of what my favorite recipe is. And I think I've talked to you about this before. A bit fuzzy on. I'm a bit fuzzy on it at the moment, but one of my favorite things ever: Greek potatoes. Ooh. Now the recipe doesn't immediately come to mind, of course, but once I remember what it is, that is my absolute favorite. Now, at the very least, how would you prepare them? Are they? Because uh, I feel like I've had. I, there's there's a Greek place I love to go to in um, – it's kind of like a Greek-Americana sort of combination mm-hmm. uh, over in East Tennessee called Colonel's Cafe. And they do have uh, these almost coin-shaped potatoes that are uh, cooked in oil and they've got like these almost like uh, little bitty peppercorn type uh, circular things that are on top of them just add really nice flavor and uh, Mm. spices and such and such and I don't know if that's something close to what you're 
you might be talking about because that's that's when I what I envision when I think Greek potatoes. Oh, what I what I envision is something slightly different. I think I sent you a picture of it on Twitter way back when. Let me see if I way. Let me just go back in our conversation log and see if I can find it. You are good. You are good. Um, I guess maybe while you're looking at that, since it's been a while since I've been on the show, I do want to mention about maybe something that I made not way too long ago that is that was kind of new for me. Let me try to find it on here too. Oh, oh please do. I had a very I had a fun idea of making what was essentially a meatball sandwich. Um, oh, but instead of, but instead of a meatball. It was chicken thighs, and I would use huh. sour sourdough bread with mozzarella cheese that was both sliced and shredded. So I'd have some sliced mozzarella and some shredded mozzarella, have some basil seasoning, and just you know toast each side of the sourdough bread. And that was the essentially the bread. idea. Nice choice. Yes, yes, because. Sourdough bread is fucking king. It, it, it's the king of all breads. I love it so much, and it it has always mm-hmm. served me well. And I just can't think of a better bread for any sandwich. It's so so good. And just looking at them, like if you want to go to my Instagram, which by the way that is at the voice that cooks, um, there's some very good pictures that I have of that sandwich that have made people. Send in the drooling emojis. It's it's beautiful. I, I I love looking at it. I feel so happy whenever I do. Like I'm I'm happy I made that. I made that, and the sauce that I used was like a low sodium, um, San Marzano tomato sauce, which was an amazing find at a Kroger. <laughs> So I think that gave it some extra extra power there for sure. Um and I just I just let the chicken be seared and then I let it simmer with the tomato sauce and that was essentially all I had to do with the the protein side of it. Mm-hmm. And then and and um since the thighs were not extremely huge, they could fit into a sandwich just fine. So that that made it even better. Um, and then of course, uh, broiling the sandwiches in the oven is going to make it all look the more professional and all that good stuff. And then after you broil them, then you can add in your, uh, shredded version of your cheese and then let the, let the, let your, as Joshua Weissman would say, crown your king and then cut in half, let it cool off for a bit and then just enjoy. So I found the picture, by the way, and I sent it to you over Discord. Ooh, let me see. These are Greek potatoes. Ooh, they look very pretty. So, you know, the potatoes are cut in quarters and thirds. Or is it thirds and quarters? So they're cut nicely like that, as you can see. Mm -hmm. Slathered in olive oil. We chop up some garlic, some spices and seasonings, and we let it all melt in. The end result oh. is delicious. How long do you like to let it melt melt in together? Like I said, it's been a while since I did this, since I made this, so I'd need to remember exactly what to do. It is a family recipe. Ooh, okay. That is delightful. One that I'm eager to relearn. And I am eager to shout the praises to the high heavens and all the good stuffs that are out there to say, thank you, Nicholas Ewan, for coming on to the show. Well, thank you once again for having me. You are most welcome, my friend. And for those of you who would like to follow Nicholas Ewan, where can they follow you? Well, I'm usually on Twitter, at Nick Ewan. However, I'm a bit of a hermit. Not the most frequent poster. Understood. I am also on Twitter at Voice That Cooks. And as I mentioned earlier, you can follow me on Instagram at The Voice That Cooks. And also, I have a website, which is williamnunvo.com, where you can see my bio, my resume. And if you ever want to work with me on anything, please feel free and uh, message me on there or email me, however you want to do so. 
it would be a lot of fun. And of course, if you want any recipes or if 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 anything we have said today has inspired you to make something like the Greek potatoes or a pizza or the the chicken sandwich I mentioned, do let us know and share your pictures. We'd love to see them. And also, um, again, thank you for coming back to listening to Voices That Cook. It's been really nice to come back on here after quite a bit. I probably won't be as frequent as before since I am going to be moving soon. So I will be needing to get a new booth set up. I'll be needing to get other stuff situated. But I do have I do have some plans to have a few people come on the show that will hopefully be very exciting and fun for you to listen to. But until then... Oh gosh, it's been so long, I don't remember what the outro was. Like, I had an outro figured out, and I don't know if I wrote it down. Let me double check. Let me double check. I'm sure I have it. I'm sure I have it. Let us see here. Here we go. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your evening and what you're eating. That's not bad. (laughs) I like it.